Welcome to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast, show helping you find better ways to live, run, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. The website for the show is paleorunner.org. I'm here today with author and endurance athlete, Rich Roll. Rich, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Aaron. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. Yeah, Rich, it's great to have you on the show. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you today, and maybe we can find some common ground between uh, the plant-powered and paleo. <laughs> we can try. A lot of endurance athletes that I talk to have read your book, and people who listen to podcasts might have heard of you, but can you give our listeners a little bit of a background of how you got into endurance exercise and healthy eating and all this stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll try to keep it brief. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I was a uh, I was a swimmer in high school and college. I competed at, at Stanford in the late 1980s, so I had a background in um, in athletics, uh, you know, and in certain respects, swimming, uh, at a high level is definitely an endurance sport. You know, we would put in four hours of training a day and sometimes upwards of 20,000 meters of swimming a day. So I think that that would qualify as some endurance background. But when my swimming career ended, you know, so went, <clears throat> you know, so went my athletic career and, and, uh, you know, I had, I had a sort of topsy-turvy 20s and some struggles with drugs and alcohol that, you know, landed me in rehab and all kinds of, uh, you know, dramatic things that happened. But in the wake of getting sober at age 31, uh, you know, I really kind of threw myself into, uh, into building a strong foundation of sobriety, but also trying to repair all the wreckage uh, of my past, you know, all that kind of problems that I had caused as a result of, of being an alcoholic and and really became i kind of transferred a lot of my addictive tendencies into workaholism and also unhealthy lifestyle habits um you know i i i was eating what i like to describe as the window diet which basically means if you roll down your window at a fine dining establishment and they hand you food through your window that's what you eat so in other words you know burger king uh you know mcdonald's pizza hut taco bell jack in the box uh, you know, nachos, you know, Chinese takeout at the law firm, uh, you know, you name it. Um, and so by the time I was 39 years old, uh, I put on 50 pounds. Um, you know, I was never morbidly obese or, you know, somebody that, that Julian Michaels would, would yell at on a TV show or anything. Uh, but, you know, I was fat, you know, I was fat and I was lazy and I was depressed and unenthusiastic about my life. And, and really was, you know, so I was, I was kind of struggling with my health and, and also kind of having a little bit of an existential crisis about my life because, you know, I was, I was, you know, from the outside looking in, I had a pretty good life. I was a su successful lawyer on the partnership track at a law firm and, and, you know, had a nice place to live and a nice car on the driveway and all of that sort of stuff. But really, you know, I just had this, this pit in my soul that I was living somebody else's life and, and not my own life. And, and that existential crisis kind of collided uh, with a health crisis late one night, um, shortly before I turned 40, where, you know, I was defeated by a simple flight of stairs. You know, I was walking upstairs to go to sleep one night and I had to pause. You know, I was winded, out of breath, tightness in my chest, uh, sweat on my brow and, and really had the fear of God in me that I might be having a heart attack. And, and that was a very, you know, crystallized uh, moment in which it kind of snapped my denial about how I was living and, and really motivated me, gave me the willingness uh, 
to do something about it. You know, I, I'd known for quite some time that I really needed to change my lifestyle habits, but I lacked the willingness to actually put that into action. And, and that moment really kind of catalyzed everything that followed. And, you know, in, in, in a thumbnail sense, that led me into exploring healthy lifestyle habits and diet. I played around for six months with different ways of eating before ultimately settling into a, a whole food plant-based diet, essentially a, a vegan diet. Um, and that really clicked with me. It really worked for me. Um, it was quite dramatic. Uh, within two weeks of adopting this way of eating, I completely it completely changed how I felt about myself. My mental acuity improved. My energy levels went through the roof. And I'd felt like I was on the road to restoring um, my long since abandoned <laughs> vitality, I, I suppose you could say. And it, it was really profound in the sense that it, it really demonstrated for me the power of food, you know, how much uh, food can influence um, not just our waistline, but everything in our lives. And, and just how resilient the human body is because I'd abused myself with drugs and alcohol and terrible lifestyle habits and stress and workaholism and all these kinds of things for so many years. And in a relatively short period of time, I was able to really do a 180. And that's what led me to this idea of trying to find a challenge, you know, this idea of, of wow, the human, the human body is so resilient. What would happen if I really tested the limits of that for myself? What would I truly be capable of? And that's really what led me into the world of ultra endurance and, and you know, this road towards getting fit and ultimately um, competing in races like the Ultraman and, and uh, ultimately 2000, uh, in 2010, the, the Epic Five, where I did five Ironmans on five Hawaiian islands in under a week. Yeah, so Rich, thank you so much for sharing that story with us. That's a great story. And for people who haven't read your book, I'd highly recommend it when you go into more detail in that book. Um, I mean, it's it's just such a dramatic story how you quickly turned your life around and, you know, you, you started exercising, you changed your diet. But before you you had sort of hit this low point, you were actually a pretty high-level swimmer in college. How long did it take you to sort of turn your health around and, and get back to that point where you're feeling fit again? Yeah, it took a little while. I mean, it had been a long time. I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I had been uh, a pretty good swimmer. I mean, just for the record and to be clear, uh, you know, I, I had the good fortune of swimming at Stanford, which at the time was the number one collegiate swimming program in the country. We won NC2As twice when I was there, but I was a bench warmer. You know, I was not on scholarship and I was not scoring a lot of points on that team. I spent most of my time staring at the heels of Pablo Morales, uh, who I shared a lane with, who would just get progressively further and further ahead of me <laughs> in workout and, of course, in races. And for those who don't know, he's sort of an icon of swimming who has multiple world records and gold medals and the like. Um, <clears throat> but what I did learn and and what I, what I did learn was how to train my body. I knew how to push myself. I, I was able to, you know, end up at Stanford um, as some, somebody, a swimmer who really, you know, has only a modicum of talent. And I think people look at my story and they think, oh, I must be just gifted genetically or something. And, and it really isn't the case. I mean, I was a decent swimmer. I was never a great swimmer, but I was able to bridge that talent gap. Um, with a willingness to go the extra mile and really work harder 
than most of my peers. You know, I would do crazy sets in high school that no one else would even entertain doing. And that's how I was able to kind of claw my way up the ladder. And, you know, I was never, I, I just lacked the talent to really take it to the next level and, and compete on the world stage. But I was able to kind of get to a certain place where, you know, I, I, I could own my seat at Stanford. So when I launched myself into ultra endurance, I realized that I had um, that endurance background. I knew how to train. I knew how to prepare myself and I wasn't afraid to work really hard. And I quickly realized that I did have some aptitude, like the longer the distances, the better I do, you know, in swimming, I swam the 200 butterfly, but in retrospect, you know, if there had been an 800 meter butterfly or a 1500 meter butterfly, that probably would have been a better event for me. Um, and, and I noticed that, you know, the further, the longer, the longer the distance is, the more I could excel. And, and, and that really encouraged me. And, and, uh, you know, I just set about getting to work and I, I hired a coach who happened to be uh, another swimmer who is also a professional Ironman named Chris Howth. And, and he really calculated a, a, a training plan for me that I stuck to very, very rigorously. You know, when I was a swimmer, I never missed workout. I was always the first one at the pool and the last one to leave. And I really applied that mentality and that approach to uh, ultra distance multi-sport. And uh, I think because I had that robust background in, in, in sports, like I, I really, you know, understood what it was going to take and how to approach the training to kind of get me to where I wanted to be. Awesome. Awesome. So Rich, I, I'd like to get back to that point where you sort of made this switch and what was it? I mean, you, you tell this great story in the book about how you decided you, I think it was, you wanted to go on a juice fast and, and just see what would happen. And I think, um, part of the reason I bring that up is because a lot of people in the paleo community are into this quantified self. They try something and then they see how they feel. And I kind of saw that in you when you tried this juice fast. You, you tried it out. You said, I'm going to see what this does. And then you just started feeling amazing. Can you tell a little bit more about that story? Yeah, I mean, that was really the first thing that I did uh, after that staircase epiphany. Um, and, you know, I probably would have benefited from reading some books or watching some documentaries about healthy eating, but I didn't do that. I mean, I turned, basically what I did was I turned to my wife who had always been much healthier than me and, and she had done cleanses in the past and I just needed to do something. It didn't, it almost didn't matter what it was. Like I needed to take an action to shift my energy and create some momentum around a new trajectory. And, you know, a seven day juice cleanse is exactly that you know if for if for no other reason on a symbolic level it was kind of a tabla rasa way of wiping the slate clean saying i'm going to i'm going to you know endure the next 7 days and contemplate what i'm going to do after that and you know as somebody with you know a very logic rational oriented you know lawyer trained mind the idea that uh you know drinking vegetable juice for 7 days would have some kind of impact on you know the toxins in my body i mean by the way like what are these toxins and how does drinking vegetable juice <laughs> have any impact on them. I mean, that's where my head goes. Like, where's the proof? I don't understand this. Um, but it was that willingness to kind of suspend my disbelief and try something new because my best thinking got me on that staircase winded. So I, I needed to do something different, set aside my logical brain and just throw myself into, you know, a new experience. And, and that's what really that was about. Um, and, you know, for the first couple of days, I, I felt terrible. You know, I'd never gone 24 hours with eating solid food. So, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a shock to my system and that left me kind of on the couch, you know, sweaty and, 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 and without any energy for, you know, two days. 
Um, and it reminded me of what it felt like when I landed in rehab. You know, I, I like I, I really felt like, wow, I think I really am detoxing. And <clears throat> and you know, as someone who has undergone many many detoxes, I knew that you know, as bad as I felt, that if I stuck with it, that things would change. And, you know, that's what happened. So by the end of seven days, I felt unbelievable. Like I could not believe that doing this simple thing could really change how I felt physically, mentally, and emotionally on such a profound level. And so, you know, at the, at the end of that seven day period, you have to figure out what you're going to eat now. And my goal was to find a way of eating that would make me feel like I felt on that seventh day of the cleanse all the time. And that's what kind of, you know, led me into a six-month uh, exploration that, you know, could have been much more quantified than it was. <laughs> you know, it was really just, I was more like a blind man stumbling around in the dark, really, uh, that more than anything else. It was hardly fully calculated. But, you know, ultimately, it led me to a place of, uh, you know, finding a way that, that really has worked for me. Yeah, yeah. So, well, let's talk a little bit about what you're eating now. I mean, do you, do you do those juice fasts on a regular basis? And what have you had to eat today? I haven't done them in quite some time. It's been a while. Um, you know, I just try to eat really clean most of the time. So generally, I start my day with uh, a glass of water with uh, some squeezed lemon in it or maybe a little uh, apple cider vinegar, uh, which I'm told has an alkalizing impact on the body, helps reduce inflammation. Then I will have uh, a tea, uh, usually a pu'er tea in the morning over my morning meditation. And breakfast is generally a smoothie, a green smoothie that starts with, always starts with kale and kind of builds from there. Dark leafy greens are always the base of my smoothies that are ver very vegetable heavy. Um, so typically it might include some spinach, uh, some beet and beet greens, uh, some chia seeds, hemp seeds, maybe a little spirulina, some pineapple, some blackberries, other kind of berries high in antioxidants, um, ground flax seeds, perhaps some coconut water or something like that. Um, generally, mostly vegetable base. I'll put some fruit in to kind of cut the bitterness, um, but it's really about um, getting a very nutrient-dense, phytochemical-dense uh, micronutrient-dense uh, form of nutrition into my body early in the morning. And usually I drink a glass of that and I'll kind of thermos the rest and take it with me uh, so I can sip on it throughout the morning. Um, I usually train in the morning. So after my glass of you know, green smoothie, that's generally enough for me to get out the door and you know, go to the pool or, or do a run or, or, or do a bike ride during the week. Uh, on the weekends when the workouts are longer, I'll tend to eat a, bigger, a little bit more of a bigger breakfast. Uh, and then I just snack on, on fruit and nuts during the day, maybe some dates, things like that. Lunch is generally a big salad. Uh, I, I tend to eat relatively light throughout the day and, and I'm finding myself more and more um, just kind of simply grazing rather than sitting down for appointed meals uh, and just to keep my kind of metabolism churning um, at a low level without eating you know, any kind of one heavy meal in the middle of the day. And then dinner is usually the larger meal for me of the day. And you know, my wife's an amazing cook. Left to my own devices, I, I would probably happily eat uh, you know, rice and beans and guacamole in a bowl or something of that nature that's super simple. Uh, I'm pretty easy to please and, and you know, I like routine. Uh, but my wife is, is a magician in the kitchen and she's always 
concocting, you know, these amazing, delicious, nutritious uh, dinners for myself and, and our kids. We have four kids. So, a lot of mouths to feed and, and she does a wonderful job of, of keeping it fresh and always new because she's always experimenting. So, those meals are anything from, you know, portobello burgers to veggie burritos to one bowls, which are, you know, sort of either a rice or a quinoa base or a lentil base or a mung bean base with um, some sautéed vegetables, uh, some sautéed greens, maybe some avocado on top and some hemp seeds, things like that to garnish it. Wow, that sounds like a pretty gourmet meal. That's uh, lucky <laughs> that you have your wife to do that for you. I'm very, very lucky to have her. Yeah, so you mentioned that you have four kids. Are they into the plant-powered nutrition as well? They all are now. It's been an evolution. Um, our our boys are 20 and 18, and uh, they're, they have fully embraced it um, over the last couple of years. And we have two younger girls who are 11 and 7. And uh, the 11-year-old has been the trickiest, I would say, of all of them. Um, but she's, she's, I would say, about 95% on board. I mean, certainly in the house, that's what we eat. Um, and again, it helps that my wife is such a wonderful cook and that's the food that they prepare. Um, but you know, when the kids go to birthday parties or, you know, out into the world and we don't have control over what they eat, um, we don't tell them what they can or they can't eat. You know, we, we instead try to educate them, um, to the best of our ability about, uh, about the foods that we're eating, why we're eating the foods that we're eating. And we use, every opportunity uh, as sort of a homeschooling opportunity. We homeschool all our kids. So when we go to the market, that's an opportunity to talk about, um, you know, why we're choosing these foods and not these and where our food comes from, et cetera. And in the kitchen, uh, we always include the kids in the preparation of the meal. So at a very, very early age, we started teaching all the kids how to prepare certain recipes. Um, and as a result of that, uh, they have a sense of empowerment in the kitchen, which I think is really important. It creates an emotional attachment to not only, um, you know, the process that brings food to our table, but, uh, but uh, to how to make foods that they like to eat. And I think, you know, that has helped forge habits that will serve them, you know, in the long term. So for us, it's less about you know, what did you eat at the birthday party than it is about, you know, what is what is the long-term habit that you are going to rely on, you know, for the rest of your life? Right. Yeah. And, you know, for our listeners, it, people who may be new to this, new to this podcast, um, uh, health, living a healthy lifestyle and eating healthily in the kitchen, I think just starts with preparing more of your meals at home. And you mentioned that your wife does a lot of the preparation in the evening, but do you have any tips for people who are just starting out preparing meals, uh, quick ways to do it. You mentioned that you you like to do a rice and bean bowl with guacamole. Is that, uh, you know, give our listeners some tips of some quick meals they could try out. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's super easy to make rice and quinoa is even easier. And, you know, lentils, you can simply heat up. If they're not, if they don't come dry, you can get them in the can. Uh, you know, mung beans, very similar. And those make, those are very simple to prepare. You know, essentially, if you can boil water, you can do it. And those create a great base to build upon for whatever else you're doing. You know, you can saute some chard in a, in a, in, you know, a saute pan with a little bit of coconut oil or a tiny bit of olive oil. And you're, you can achieve that in two minutes <laughs> mm -hmm. and add that to your bowl. Uh, you know, add, add black beans to your bowl. Those are easy. All you have to do is, um, 
put those in a, you know, simmer those for a few minutes at, at most and, and cut an avocado open and sprinkle some hemp seeds on top. And you have a pretty amazing meal that probably would only take you 10 or 15 minutes max. And, you know, I'm no wizard in the kitchen, uh, but even I can uh, manage, manage that. And, you know, I think there's lots of ways to simplify the process. And I think when you start to talk about eating plant-based, people get freaked out. They think, it's going to be super time consuming and, and, and super difficult and it involves all these exotic foods they've never heard of. And the truth of the matter is it, it couldn't be further from the truth because essentially we focus on just eating whole foods close to their natural state. Not a lot of preparation. Nothing is overcooked. And, uh, and, and essentially, you know, what you, what happens is you start to develop cravings and appetites around these foods that, that really are, um, so basic, you know, nature's already made them so perfect. There's no need to overdo it and, and create something super elaborate to, you know, create some kind of crazy flavor uh, that really ultimately, I don't think is any better than the flavor that nature has already provided. Mm-hmm. Rich, do you have any uh, temptations, uh, like say for meat or even for a beer with your meal anymore? What are your biggest temptations now that you're trying to live a healthier lifestyle? Yeah, I mean, I think you hear among vegans who they'll say, "Oh, I'm just repulsed by meat. I, you know, I I can't stand the smell of it anymore. I don't know how anybody eats that." You know, I would not consider myself in that camp. You know, if I if I drive by a barbecue place and I smell that, I'm like, "Wow, that smells good." You know, but it's been so long for me that it doesn't trigger the sort of compulsion that it once did because I've put so much time in between myself and those foods. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of diets out there that advocate for uh, a cheat day, for example. And, you know, in an ideal world, that sounds great, but I just know for myself, and this is probably because, you know, I, I have addiction in my, in my story and in my background that I just can't afford to indulge in, in any kind of cheat day. Like a cheat day for me if I could go to In-N-Out Burger once a week, then I would spend six days thinking about the day that I could go to In-N-Out Burger. And otherwise, you know, I, I, I sort of fertilize that obsession and it always remains alive. So the longer, you know, time period in, be- in between me and, you know, foods that don't serve me, uh, the, the better off I am and the less that I crave them. And that being said, you know, I've never been a sweet tooth. So that's not a big deal for me, but like salty, greasy foods are, are definitely a hot button thing for me. You know, I crave things like French fries and potato chips and, you know, those are technically vegan foods, right? So I can sort of convince myself, well, I'm eating, you know, this is plant-based, but obviously, you know, not healthy. So, you know, for me, it's been an evolution of, of just always moving closer and closer to foods close to their natural state and staying away from the processed foods, which as I'm sure you know, uh, you know, are, are specifically cultivated to activate those pleasure centers in, in your brain and, and create that addictive response. Right, right. Yeah, Rich, I'd like to turn our attention a little bit to something you mentioned earlier in your story, and that was you sort of had this existential crisis, you called it, where you turned your life around. You weren't really that happy with your career in law. What are you up to now? Are, are you doing podcasting and, and blogging and, and things on the internet full time? Are you still doing law? What are you up to? Yeah, no, I haven't uh, practiced law in about three years. I, I hung up the law hat uh, the day that uh, Finding Ultra came out um, without any... <laughs> 
completely c- concrete plan on how I was going to make it all work. I just knew that I needed to take the leap of faith. And that was the opportunity that presented, um, you know, basically, uh, you know, a, a sort of opening uh, that I could step into and try to figure out how to make a living as a full-time wellness advocate. And it was very difficult. There were many dark nights of the soul where I didn't think I was going to make it. And I thought I was going to have to go back to practicing law. But now I'm really, you know, proud uh, and excited that uh, I'm in a position right now where everything is stabilized and, and it's all working. And so what I do is I do, it's not any one thing that I do that that provides enough for my family, but it's sort of the assembly of a bunch of different things that kind of um, converge to make it all work. So I do my podcast, uh, you know, it's a, it's a weekly show. We're trying to get it up to two episodes a week. Um, and that occupies a tremendous amount of my time and my passion. And the audience has grown enough now where uh, I can monetize it through advertising dollars. And, and that's starting to make more and more sense and, and validate the, the time investment. And the podcast is really the tip of the spear of everything that I do. It's what, it's what, um, it's what uh, is cultivating the audience for the other things that I do. And, and those range from books, you know, Finding Ultra is still selling quite well. And we are uh, on the precipice of releasing uh, the next book, which is The Plant Power Way, uh, which comes out April April 28th. And that's a uh, cookbook and lifestyle guide for the modern family who's looking to uh, live healthier and more sustainably. And it's packed with about 120, a little over 120 plant-based recipes, but it's really not a book just for vegans. It's a book for everybody who uh, is just looking to kind of dial up their wellness. Um, because to your original point of, you know, paleo versus vegan and finding some common ground, you know, the biggest common ground between paleo, vegan, Mediterranean, and no matter what your sort of healthy lifestyle proclivities are, uh, they all share one thing in common, which is uh, eating a preponderance of plants on your diet. And and that's really what this book is focused on. So we're excited about that. And right now there's a lot of energy going into getting ready for the release and getting the word out and all that kind of stuff. Uh, beyond that, I travel quite a bit for public speaking uh, engagements, um, and I've had the great opportunity to travel all over the world. I went to the Middle East like three times in the last 18 months, um, and I just got back this past weekend. I was in Colorado Springs uh, at the Olympic Training Center. Uh, I was invited to go give a talk to USA Swimming's national junior team who was having a camp there, basically the fastest swimmers who are 18 and under in the country, which was an amazing opportunity. And I also got to hang out with and, and, and chat with a bunch of uh, the national team members who are living in Colorado Springs right now, sort of in residency, preparing for the summer's world championships and, and Rio uh, in 2016. Guys like Ryan Lochte and, you know, Tyler Clary and Connor Dwyer, who are, you know, huge names in the sport of swimming. So, you know, that's been amazing to be able to, uh, you know, connect with young people and connect with people all over the world to share a healthy message. So I do that. I've got a couple online courses and I blog and uh, what else do I do? We have products on our website. So together, all of these kind of endeavors, you know, congeal to uh, form a sort of amorphous uh, entrepreneurial uh, adventure that, uh, that is supporting my family right now. And it's really cool and exciting to be able to be a full-time 
um, you know, person who gets to go out and inspire people and, and hopefully catalyze healthier, sustainable lifestyle habits in them. Yeah, Rich, that's really inspiring how you, you kind of just hung up the law thing and you put your whole effort into doing uh, sort of an entrepreneurial type thing and, and you're, you're actually making it and you're doing well at it. So um, it's inspiring to hear that. It sounds like you've got a, a lot on your plate. How do you stay productive, um, say, writing books and um, blogging and podcasting? Uh, do, you, do you use assistance or do you just have some sort of um, productivity tools that you could share with us? How are you <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I could use some productivity tools. I'm a bit of a control freak uh, to to my own detriment, I would say. Uh, and it's been a struggle for me to let go of the reins and allow people to come in and help me. And I'm kind of in the process of doing that now. So I have a graphics guy who helps me out with all the gra- my graphic needs for the website um, and the podcast. And I have um, some AV guys who I can do video projects with. I've got a web designer who helped me redesign our whole website. And essentially, this is because I took on a business partner um, who has uh, who has the um, he's CEO of a, of a company called Sideshow, and, and I'm able to kind of tap into his human resource pool and, and access some of uh, of the artists that work at his company to assist me in my needs, um, which has been extremely helpful. But I would say that I'm still a bit of a control freak and workaholic. And, you know, I probably spend too much time on the wrong things. Uh, you know, for example, I just labor over the blog post that accompanies every podcast that I put up. And I spend hours on that when I know that that's probably not the best use of my time. They could be more productive in, in other outlets, but, you know, I can't help it. I just, I, I care about it. And, I, and I'm always trying to keep the quality really high in what I'm doing as a distinguishing factor, uh, you know, in the marketplace when people are looking for, you know, their content online. Um, so, you know, I was at the office last night till one in the morning and I probably will happen again tonight. So in terms of efficiencies, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, probably not the best person to talk to when it comes to, you know, hacks to shortcut your life. (laughs) Okay. Well, are you still able to find time to exercise and get out there and run or get on your bike with everything you've got going on? Yeah, I do. Uh, life is, is very busy right now. And that's definitely a challenge for me. You know, I'm not racing this year. So, um, the priority is, is, is less on, um, on, on physical performance. But that being said, I do get out and train every morning. I make a priority of doing that. And it's absolutely crucial to my wellness equation. And, you know, I can't get on the podcast and talk about healthy lifestyle if I'm not living it myself. So, you know, I've got to have checks and balances to keep my life in balance. And, you know, balance is a fickle thing for me. You know, I'm, I'm prone to extremes in, in many ways. And, and, and so for me, I'm always trying to achieve a, a better level of balance in my life so that I can speak authentically to that uh, in, the, in the work that I do. Awesome. Well, Rich, it's been great talking with you today and having you on the show. I'm glad we finally got to get together to chat. Uh, where do you recommend people go to find out more about you and, and everything you have going on? Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Um, the best place to to find out more about me is my website, which is richroll.com. Um, really excited about the new book coming out, The Plant Power Way. Uh, I'm not sure when you're going to post this, but um, it goes on sale April 28th. But for everybody who pre-orders the book prior to April 28th, we have tons of bonus gifts and giveaways um, 
to kind of uh, say thank you to everybody who's kind of followed along on our journey. And there's all kinds of information about that on my website. And I'm really easy to find on social media. I live on social media. I'm just at Rich Roll on Twitter, same on Instagram. Uh, and uh, yeah, you can find me there, hook up with me. And uh, that's about it, man. All right, great, Rich. Well, it was great talking to you. Great. Thanks so much, Aaron. I appreciate being on your show.